it was a nail-biter, but NASA finally got the first rocket in its Artemis mission off the ground just a few days ago down there at Cape Canaveral, Florida. In our lifetime, we've had the good fortune to witness how many dozen space launches. I tell you, it just never, ever gets old or boring, ever, does it? Uh, This one, by the way, featured uh, the space launch system. The rocket itself is the space agency's most powerful rocket ever built. And on top of it, of course, the Orion spacecraft, which one day will ferry astronauts to and from the moon. The last time we were there, by the way, December 1972. This current mission is an uncrewed mission. The only passengers, three mannequins on board. But there are lots of experiments, uh, experiments rather, including a, te- a vest on a test that will uh, protect astronauts from space radiation and other science experiments involved as well. One of those contributing to these science experiments on board the uh, are the rocket and currently circling the Earth is Dr. Corey Nislow from the uh, Pharmaceutical Sciences Department at UBC. Dr. Nislow joins us right now. Corey, good morning, sir. Welcome to the program. Uh, good morning, Sterling. Great, uh, great to be here. Thank well, it's you. good to have you with us. Tell us, uh, first of all, your impressions of the launch. I, I never get tired of them. I love them. And uh, this one, featuring the largest rocket ever built, was quite a show. It was pretty awesome. L- night launches, um, in my opinion, are, are the most dramatic. And, and, you know, we had some, some last-minute um, uh, uh, nail-biters uh, for this launch with uh, the red team going out to tighten some... Uh, some bolts that had come loose. Yes. Uh, and so uh, I, uh, once it cleared what they call max Q, after about a minute and a half, I was elated. And uh, that means, now tell us what you've got, uh, your personal involvement with this, Dr. Nislow, is uh, science-based, of course, and uh, you, you've, you've sent something up. What have you done? Well, we've sent up, I, I like to think of it as as two pretty large communities, um, uh um, of about 6,000 to 10,000 members each. We sent one experiment uh, 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 has 6,000 different yeast mutants, each very specifically engineered to have a single mutation. Mm. Um, and um, in a very complementary experiment, we sent up 10,000 different algae uh, uh, that all each also have uh very well characterized mutations and we studied these mutations on the ground for about 20 years and so we and you know as scientists the the way we approach um um how to understand how how a gene or anything in the cell works is you disrupt it or or knock it out sure so we have we have a um a a database of several thousand different experiments in different environments Telling us how these genes operate, but we don't. We, we have a missing environment. We've been, we've uh, taken these samples to the space station, but we've never taken them out of lower Earth orbit, where we're going to have to go to get to the Moon, sure. and Mars, and beyond. So now uh, that's the that's the missing link in this long chain of research that you've conducted using the yeast and algae cultures. So this would be this would be the the final link in terms of determining what how these cultures evolve and how we can mutate them to our advantage. Well, that's yeah, that's always the question. Why are you doing this? So uh, what, what the specifically um We've never had the opportunity to uh, expose our, our samples to high levels of cosmic radiation uh-huh. for a 
for an extended period of time. We can model that on the ground, and we have with our collaborators. But, um, you know, when you're on the uh, International Space Station, you're protected from the, um, the, the solar wind that contains so much cosmic radiation. Well, we're no longer going to be so well protected after you get about 60,000 kilometers above the surface of the Earth. So when these samples come back, we're going to be able to very specifically ask which genes were most important for surviving that bombardment of cosmic radiation. Ah, and I, I, I noted briefly in my opening remarks, Dr. Nislow, that uh, one, it's an uns, uncrewed mission, but one of the experiments being undertaken is this testing of the vest that will pr- yep. protect real astronauts from space radiation in future trips. The, and so, in fact, the vest test is linked yep. to the algae and, uh, and the yeast as well, because it's all about radiation and its effects on all sorts of organisms, right? Exactly right. And it's going to take, um, you know how we always say, it's going to take more than one magic bullet. It's going to take a multiple, multiple approaches to make sure we know how to protect the crew and the plants and the animals that are going to be aboard future missions. Um, and also, I'd be remiss to, to um, not to mention that there's Earth, Earth-based uh, advantages to uh, understanding radiation effects as well. When you go in for radiation therapy, um, it's getting more and more precise. Sure. Um, and better, but there's still collateral damage. And so we want, um, the more we learn about how cells respond to radiation, the better equipped we are to go into our arsenal of drugs and other treatments to potentially help cells deal and, and repair. Dr. Nisto, if humans have been to the moon, and the last time we were there was uh, December 1972, it's yes. been a while, but did we have any, were we, were we able to identify any negative effects of space radiation on those humans who actually did go to the moon and who weren't wearing protective vests, they were wearing space suits, suits rather, but did we, have we noted any negative effects of, of radiation in space? No, and that's a great question. And the two, the, there are many reasons why, but the big ones for us are we didn't have the tools to go in and look at the single-letter DNA changes that may have occurred. Uh-huh. And other, the other ex- possible explanation is that the missions were relatively short. Um, and here's, here's a key um, thing that gets me really excited. Um, we are not going to be sending humans to the moon for months or years yet. Right. But, but we will eventually. And our yeast goes through a generation every 90 minutes. So it's the equivalent of 400 person years uh, on this mission. And so whatever we learn in yeast, and because yeast shares so much gene function with humans, mm. we can ex- extrapolate our yeast findings to long-term multi-generational effects on people. A crash course in, in, yes. in uh, long-term effects then. Well, hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps a bad choice of words when we're talking about <laughs> spacecraft, but really a really quite intensely condensed survey, isn't it? Exactly. And the, the, another wonderful thing is these samples come back. And so they're going to be archived here in Vancouver so that after I retire... Um, um, and 
my students go on to be there to get their own positions, they'll be able to take these samples, just like we're still studying lunar rocks, and be able to continue to study the long, long-term effects of these exposures. Interesting stuff. Dr. Nissel, a pleasure to have you on the program this morning, sir. It gets, uh, gets a person even more excited about what's going on up there. And I, I, I frankly love it. And, and I love your enthusiasm to the point where I'm looking forward to having this conversation as we learn more going forward. Can we, uh, can we make that arrangement now here in front of lots of witnesses? It's a, it's a date. It's a date. Thank you so much.